Thank you that you are an eternal king. Your kingdom is unshakable. And thank you that you invite us into your kingdom. By the grace and mercy of Most High God, we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I'm Pastor Andrew, associate pastor here. And uh, welcome to Bethel Christian Fellowship. Uh, you guys are looking good today. I mean, not that you don't always look good today, but look. anyway, I'm just going to stop talking about that. Uh, well, I, I came across a really interesting story uh, recently that I wanted to share with you that, that uh, kind of really caught my attention, really surprised me. Uh, there's a story of a fellow named, there's a bunch of weird feedback. You guys hear that? Okay. Thank you. Be like in my ear the whole time. Uh, uh, this fellow, uh, I, the story that I came across, a fellow named uh, Mike Burden, and uh, he was a, he is a former Ku Klux Klan leader, and uh, he had an amazing transformation uh, that I, I learned about. He uh, became a Christian back in the, in the mid-90s. Uh, before he became a Christian, he opened what he called uh, the Redneck Shop, and it was a, it was a museum and a shop for uh, the Ku Klux Klan down in the little town of Lawrence, South Carolina. Well, as you can imagine, that raised a lot of concern uh, from locals and actually all across the, the country, and so people banded together and protested and stood outside this, this museum and protested. Uh, and one of the main leaders of the protest was uh, a local black pastor named uh, Reverend David Kennedy. And, uh, uh, well, Partly because of all this protest, the shop ended up having to shut down, and uh, and Burden and his wife were Mike Burden and his wife were reduced to homelessness, and uh, in their deep need, they reached out to uh, they reached out to actually the same local black pastor, Reverend David Kennedy, and asked him for help, and very surprisingly, he helped them. Uh, and he helped them get back on their feet financially, and, uh, and he rallied his church around him to try to help David Burden and his wife. And, uh, and because of this, David Burden and his wife came to Christ. They completely repented of their racism. They repented of their white supremacy. They repented of supporting uh, the Ku Klux Klan. And uh, it was Reverend David Kennedy who discipled him uh, uh, so that he became a, a full-fledged follower of Jesus. And he was asked in an interview uh, many years later, how, how did this happen? And he said, love did it. It was love that changed me. Hallelujah is right. And, you know, that, that got me wondering. That got me asking the question, uh, how, how are people transformed? How are we transformed? How did somebody like... Mike Burden, transform from a hateful promoter of hate to somebody who followed Jesus and was able to love the very people he had been trying to harm previously. How did, how did that happen? <clears throat> how do we go from being hateful and self-absorbed to being loving? How do we go from being greedy uh, fearful about our money, fearful about our provision, to being generous and giving. How does that happen? 
How do we go from being uh, preoccupied with ourselves and preoccupied to becoming preoccupied with other people and preoccupied with God? How does, how does that happen? Well, BCF has been trying to do its part to help this transformation, uh, you know, in our, our uh, desire to help us all overflow in loving others. We have our How to Fight Racism class that we're right in the middle of right now. We're partway through, which has been going amazingly. Uh, in our desire to help people reach out and spread the good news and love other people beyond themselves, we've, uh, we've got this following Jesus into witness class that just began last week. And by the way, there's still room if you want to join uh, starting tonight at, at 6 o'clock. Uh, how do we help people become more generous? Well, starting next week, Pastor Steve is going to be uh, doing a whole series on generosity, and we're going to have uh, several of our small groups are going to focus on this, uh, and, and then we even have one small group starting on this Tuesday night here at 7 o'clock at the church uh, that's going to just be around for the, 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 uh, the time of the series. So, so if you're worried, I, I, you know, you say, I want to start join a small group, but I can't sign up for long term. This is the one you want to join starting this Tuesday at 7, right here. Um, how do we help Bethel Christian Fellowship's DNA, our special DNA of, uh, of hospitality, of hosting the presence of the Lord, of caring for the nations, how do we spread that beyond us? Uh, well... Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had our great uh, celebration weekend where we kind of looked in the past, our 92 years of existence, and then coming up, we've got uh, a leader's retreat, leader's day, that uh, if, if you just imagine you're a leader, we want you to come, okay? <laughs> if you're wondering, oh, I don't really see myself as a leader, just come, just come, okay? It's going to be a great time together, uh, first Saturday of November, November 5th. Um, so the church is trying to do its part to kind of nudge us towards transformation, uh, and, you know, when, when people realize they need transformation, here's some typical things people say. They say, uh, you know, I want to change the world. Or they say, I want to make the world a better place. Or they say, I want to make a difference in the world. Or they say, uh, you know, I, I want to be more loving. Or sometimes you'll even get people saying, you know, I, I want to I be more Christ-like. That's all nice. That's all good. I would argue that all of those motives fall very short in actually transforming us. I, I, I don't think uh, Mike Burden was transformed into be, uh, becoming, from being a hateful promoter of hate to being a loving follower of Jesus. I don't think he was transformed uh, because he wanted to make the world a better place. That's not what transformed him. And uh, all of these, I think, lead to burnout and ultimately to disillusionment. Now, they might get you going for a little bit. Uh, I know that in, in recent years, as uh, the, the idea of social justice has become very popular, you know, there's a lot of people who, for a short period of time, kind of feel stirred up by that idea. But if you stick around, if you revisit them a few years later, there's not much energy left in the tank for uh, changing the world. <clears throat> and, and you might say, whoa, whoa, Pastor Andrew, what, are, you, are you telling me that even the desire for Christ-likeness doesn't transform us? Well, uh, 
yeah, <laughs> even that desire, because when, when most people say this, when most people say, I want to be more like Christ, mostly they're talking about their outward behavior. Um, I, I want to say a kind word to that coworker who annoys me. I want to be uh, a, a, little, a little more uh, generous when somebody asks me for money. I want to, they're, they're usually thinking of kind of the outward behavior. They're not always thinking about the motives of the heart. What's going on inside of their heart when they, when they say, I want to be more Christ-like? And so how, how are we going to get at the motives of the heart? Well, one way, I would argue, is for us to go back to our ultimate example, our ultimate role model, and ask, what were the motives of his heart? What were the motives of Jesus' heart? Now, there's all kinds of ways to get at this. Of course, the best way is to dig into Scripture and especially dig into the Gospels, and especially in the book of John, we have all kinds of uh, revelations of what was going on inside of Jesus' heart. Uh, and, and I want to focus on one particular statement that he made that I think really summarized his motives very well. And uh, in John, the book of John, chapter 12, verses 27 through 28, when uh, Jesus knew that the cross was coming his way, all right? Now, now this, is, <laughs> this is really how we test the motive of a heart, when, when we, we know a cross is coming our way. We know a difficulty, a challenge is coming our way. How do we motivate ourselves, not just when the skies are blue, and I want to go out and change the world. That doesn't last very long. How do we motivate ourselves when the cross is before us? So at this point, Jesus knew that the cross was in front of him. How did he motivate himself? Well, in John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28, Jesus said this, Now, my soul has become troubled. Surprise, the cross is in front of him. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? I think most of us, any normal person, would say, yeah, save me from this hour. Pluck me up out of this. Rescue me from this. But Jesus said something very different. He said, but for this purpose... I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name. You see, Jesus' motive while he was here on earth, when he had to humble himself, go from the most glorious being in all the universe, lowered himself down, became a limited human being, limited in his power and ability and strength, and limited himself to become a human being, suffered in his 40 days in the wilderness, suffered with all the opposition uh, the religious leaders gave him, suffered from the opposition of his own people, suffered uh, <clears throat> with uh, all the lead up to the cross, and of course suffered on the cross itself. The thing that kept motivating him, the, key, the thing that kept uh, helping him put it one foot in front of the other was the thought of the glory of his father. 
He wanted to see his father enthroned above all other names so that all would bow down. Just like the world, just like the universe was originally designed to be. God had created the universe with himself at the center, like he put suns in the center of solar systems. He put himself at the center of the whole creation and was intended to be the center of all things and with all people bowing before him. And Jesus came to restore that. And no sacrifice was too great in light of the glory of his Father. And and I would say that this is actually the same motive that Jesus offers us for our transformation. How many of you know that transformation, actual transformation, is going to cost you something? Those of you who have tried to (laughs) experience transformation in your life, how many know that's going to cost you something? What's going to motivate you when the cost feels too high? When the cost is even your own life and all that is dearest to you. Well, Paul does a great job of summarizing this in much of his writing. And there's this this one particular verse that the Spirit of God uh, has been speaking to me uh, a lot lately. And I've I've just been meditating on this and praying this verse. Uh, So I wanted to share this one verse that, in, in my mind, sort of summarizes Paul's theology It's a great reflection of Jesus' own theology. That's in the book of Colossians chapter 1, where Paul writes this, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. So that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Paul's motive In all of his work, all of his ministry, all of his efforts, and of course all of his transformation that he went through, his motive was to make sure that Jesus was able to have first place in everything. Look at the passage. This is a few verses after this in chapter 1 of Colossians. Look at all of the way, look at all of the effort and labor that Paul poured into his ministry in following Jesus. He writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. We proclaim him, admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which works mightily in me. Look at at all of the ways Paul is willing to surrender and give up everything, all the ways he's willing to squeeze his whole effort into everything he does 
It's all so that Christ may have first place in everything. Now, of course, you're going to say, you're going to, the last line there says, which works, he does it all striving according to his power, which works mightily in me. Absolutely, Paul relied exclusively on the power of God that worked mightily in him. He wasn't doing any of this in his own power, and neither should you, and neither should I. That's one of the reasons why I think there's so many disillusioned uh, social justice uh, warriors now, because they were doing it in their own power and their own effort. Uh, and Paul wasn't doing it in his own power, his own effort. However, the, con- the reason Paul could have confidence that he was going to work, that, that God's power was going to work mightily in him and through him, was because Paul had already settled in his heart that all of his work was going to be exclusively so that Christ could have first place in everything. I should hear a few more amens to that, brothers and sisters, because Paul had confidence that he was working in God's mighty power. That confidence came from this, this certainty that everything he did was so that Christ could have first place in everything. Folks, this is where, this is essentially what conversion is. We are converted from unbelieving to believing because, at least in seed form, we are uh, saying, Jesus, have first place in my beliefs. Uh, this is where spiritual growth comes from. If it, it doesn't come from just going on a bunch of retreats and, and doesn't even come from reading a bunch of scriptures, although that can be God's method of getting the growth into you. Uh, but growth comes from, spiritual growth comes from saying, Jesus, I want you to increasingly have first place in everything in my life. A person who says, oh, I'm really growing in Jesus, and maybe they're busy with all kinds of church activities, that's not actual growth. Growth is because Jesus is increasingly taking first place in everything in their life. This is where that old, that old term sanctification that the saints used to use, sanctification is becoming holier. And we are sanctified not because our, our practice, you know, we're fasting more and our practices are becoming more esoteric and, and, and we seem more otherworldly and, and we use more church language. No, sanctification is Jesus is increasingly taking first place in our life. <clears throat> um, this, is what, this is what our whole devotional life is for. It's not so that you can go check a box. Yep, I read my chapter today. Yeah, I did, I did my spiritual stuff today. It's not, we don't even do devotions just to change our mood and, and improve our, uh, help us improve ourselves, although devotions help a lot with that. We, 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 our devotions are so that we can increasingly make Jesus a bigger part of our day increasingly put him at the center of everything in our day. That's why we do, do devotions. Uh, you guys, this is what evangelism is. Evangelism, uh, we, we're not trying to recruit people into our club. We're not trying to just get people to be like us. We, we evangelize, we share the gospel because <laughs> we want Jesus to have first place, not just privately to ourselves, we want Jesus to have first place in the lives of people around us. That's the best gift we can give anybody is the gospel. 
Guys, this is what, this is what true reconciliation is. We're doing this class right now, how to fight racism, and it's going great, and reconciliation is, is, is right at the heart of it all, but reconciliation isn't just so that the two of us can get along better, uh, although that is a wonderful byproduct. Reconciliation is so that Jesus increasingly takes first place in our relationship, so that he's in charge of our relationship. He's the one calling the shots over our relationship. <clears throat> this, is, this is what social justice and social transformation, this is where it actually comes from, is placing Jesus as first place over all things. I'm not just making this up. Uh, this, and Paul's not just making this up, and Jesus isn't just making this up. This is, this is also Peter's theology. We could go through the whole uh, New Testament and even the Old Testament and discover this theology over and over again. Uh, look at Peter's first series of sermons in the book of Acts, and we've all spent months on uh, the book of Acts, but in, in chapter 2, his famous uh, Day of Pentecost sermon, at the end of it, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. And here, Christ, that's a, that's a political term. That's, that's a Messiah. That's not some spiritual guru. He's, he's saying, Jesus is, is uh, God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He, G, Paul is, or sorry, Peter is using political words here, saying, that this, this is the king God gave you, and you got rid of him. You tried to get rid of him. He does it again in his next uh, sermon, chapter 4. Uh, he says, But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life. He's once again, he's using political language. Jesus deserves to be set up as king and prince and lord of all things. He does it again in his next sermon before the Sanhedrin. Uh, he says, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as prince, as a prince and a savior. This is where Peter got the newfound boldness. Now, he, he had a human-centered boldness before. He, before Jesus died, he said, oh, I, I will... I will die with you, Jesus. Uh, he sounded so bold, but then uh, a, a servant girl, a little servant girl, scared him to death uh, only hours later. Um, his perseverance was very uh, human centered and came from his own flesh. But this new boldness to stand even before the Sanhedrin and to tell them, You put to death this king who God put in place, that came from this certainty that Jesus deserved to be set up as king of all things. So I want to ask you again, how are we transformed? How are we transformed? Do we want less hate in our hearts and more love? Do we want to be less self-absorbed and more ready to share the good news? Do we want less greed in our lives, less fear around our provision and our care? And do we want to be more generous? Do we want less idolatry in our lives and more true Christ-likeness? The answer, brothers and sisters, is to enthrone Christ. Enthrone Christ. Set him up 
as Prince, Lord, Savior, Master, Messiah of all things. Enthrone Christ as first place in everything. First place in everything. But maybe it's possible, as this happens to me, maybe you've just forgotten how worthy this king is to be enthroned and made first place of all things. Maybe your vision of his worthiness has gotten cloudy. Could be circumstances in your life. I know for me, when a trial hits me, uh, (laughs) rarely do I automatically go to thinking of Christ as first place in all things. Uh, it, it could be sin in your life. Sin is probably the, has the, the greatest power to cloud our vision of Jesus' worthiness. Who knows? There's all kinds of things uh, that could have made that vision cloudy for you. Or it's possible that you've never had a vision for the worthiness of Jesus to be made first place in your life, first place over all things. I I don't know. I do know now is an excellent day. Now is the perfect day to make Jesus first place in all things. It is the perfect day to remake Jesus first place in all things. It's the perfect day to increasingly make him more first place in all things in your life. My guess is, if you're like me, you still got corners of your soul where Jesus is not yet first place. Come on, you're okay. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Katie. Amen. Yeah, just, just possibly. Will you meditate with me on this passage earlier... In this same chapter, Colossians chapter 1, uh, and, and go ahead and uh, turn there. Uh, I'm going to have it up on the board, but I want us to spend a few minutes meditating on just a few of the reasons why Paul thinks Jesus is worthy to come and take first place in everything. Starting in chapter 1, verse 13, just either read along or listen But meditate with me for a moment. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness. Has anyone been rescued from the domain of darkness this morning? And he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Is anyone grateful this morning that you are no longer a a, a bondaged slave to the kingdom of darkness? But you've been transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved Son, and he is now your king. Anyone grateful? In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Is anyone grateful that your worst problem, your sin problem that separated you from God, that kept you from eternal life in Christ, that kept you from true life, true happiness. Is anyone else grateful that you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins? 
for he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Is anyone grateful that an invisible God who we can't see, we can't perceive, has made himself visible, has given us a face, has given us an image in Jesus Christ? For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all those things that feel like they've got the upper hand in your life, all those institutions and powers and and oppressions that feel like they, they have the final word in your life, all those things were made by him, and they're all held together in him. All things have been created through him, and it says, Paul says here, they've been created for him. That's why it all exists. That's why your heart is beating another beat right now. It's why your lungs are taking in another breath of oxygen. It's because you and I and everything around us were made for He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body. The worship team could come on up. He is the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. I want to ask you again, brothers and sisters, you want to be transformed? You want the grace to persevere in your transformation? You want the grace to be a radiant light for Christ in this world? You want the grace to live life like Mike Burden did, uh, transformed from hatefulness and selfishness to a life of, of love? If you want that transformation, if you want to, be, if you want to persevere in that transformation then join with the Holy Spirit, join with the Father, and make Jesus first place in your life. Oh Lord, we want to join the everlasting song, crowning you Lord of all. Oh, and the good news is we get to start crowning you right now. Today, today we get to live life as though you are already crowned and Lord of all, because that's in fact... You are crowned Lord of all. So God, I pray that that same power that was in Paul, that same power that was in Jesus on on earth when he had to face the cross, I, I pray that that same power would be in your people this morning, that we would go from here ready to be your witnesses, ready to jump out of the boat, follow you wherever you go, ready to point to you, Lord, and say, 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 you are Lord of all. You Lord, and, and that, that every breath in our heart, every, every movement of our lungs and our hearts would, would, would be to pray, Lord, come and take first place in everything. So now may you go with that unlimited power of God the Father himself, that, that fellowship of the Holy Spirit in, in the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go now and make disciples of all nations. Amen.